Memorial Day weekend in Las Vegas. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We're here every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock on Fox Sports Radio 98.9 FM at 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. Coming to you live from the Wisden in Las Vegas, because for over two years now, the pandemic is still keeping us out of the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. Joining me on the show is our social media director, Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Yeah, that's right. The Wiz not only has his own studio, but he has his own theme music as well. It's well-deserved. And back in the Fox Sports Residential Bay Corp studio, manning the controls is producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who aside from producing a number of shows for Lotus Broadcasting, is the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. And before we get going, I want to start the show by thanking um, U.S. veterans everywhere for keeping us safe and free. May God keep and bless all of you. We all from all of us here, man. We mean that sincerely. Uh, this show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. On Tap, brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 today to get information on all the home financing options available in Nevada. On Tap, we will speculate about who will be the Vegas Golden Knights' next head coach. More game sevens in both the NHL and the NBA playoffs to talk about. Real Madrid wins another European League championship, and the Las Vegas Aces have the best record in the WNBA. That's what's on tap if you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own. Choose a company you can trust. Residential Bank Corp. Funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on all of your home financing needs. Spence, what's going on, man? Another week. I almost feel like at this point I need to trademark it's a whiz-tastic Sunday or maybe get like a nice t-shirt for it. I don't know, but I'm starting, I feel like it's starting to gain momentum, at least for me. So I think I'm going to stick with it. It's a whiz-tastic Sunday. I like it. Mags, I just have to ask you back in studio, did you see the shirt I'm wearing today? Yeah, I did. And I can't, uh, I, I, I can't repeat the text message that I sent you when you sent me the picture, but uh, let's just say it's not radio safe. Yeah, I know. Well, I know Liverpool is your is your team, and so I knew that it was bad when I saw it, but we're going to talk about this in a little while on the show. Rarely do I talk about soccer, but I think uh, this subject does need to be broached today for sure. Soccer, one of the oldest and most popular sports in the entire world, and, um, you know, it's just always never been as popular in the United States as it is worldwide. And, again, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the Las Vegas Golden Knights coaching situation. So go ahead, Spencer, get us started. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. 
Chris, uh, you know, bring you right in on this. I mean, you know, we're we're all waiting to hear who eventually will be the heir apparent, uh, you know, to Pete DeBoer. Um, I think we were definitely a little bit surprised. I, I, I kept saying he's on an extremely short leash starting next season. I thought he would get the opportunity to at least be behind the bench for the beginning of the 22-23 season. Not going to happen right now. And there's several names that have been brought up. I've got my ideas on a few. I know you do as well. What do you think is the thoughts going through uh, the Vegas of brass about who they're going to bring in. And, you know, because really it's a great job to take. And what's the downside? The only downside is the pressure. Uh, there's always pressure being a head coach, but when you come to a team built to win a Stanley cup, which the Vegas Golden Knights have been built to do, uh, you come in with a lot of expectations and you've seen what's happened in the first four years, two coaches already, the leash is short. The expectations are high. Yeah. You know, to, to answer your, the, the question, I don't really know what they're looking for uh, because they don't really give us an idea of, of, of what it is that, that they're looking for. Um, you know, we all we really heard was a new voice. I know Kelly McCrimmon was asked, well, well, what kind of style, what kind of identity are you are you looking to have? And he, he didn't really answer the question. Um, you know, like I've said in the past, I I, I don't feel that that maybe it was right that Pete DeBoer was axed. Um, you know, the, the thing is, we, we heard all season it was injuries, 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 and then at the end it's, well, we just need a new voice. Uh, I don't I don't know exactly what they're looking for. I, I, I do think that whoever they hire will not be um, someone who has not coached before. I think it will be someone who has coached an NHL franchise before. I, I will say that because I think experience is something that this that they that they are looking for like I said I don't I don't know what they're looking for if I'm gonna guess what they're looking for like I said I I, I think it's it's someone who will change the identity I think Pete DeBoer was was with us he was a bit laid back he was a bit jovial with the media you know he had fun with us I think whoever they bring in is going to be the opposite of that um and I don't know if, if any of the coaches that they're going to interview or, or have interviewed are, are different than, than the way Pete was when it came to, to that. But, you know, it's always it's always a yo-yo effect, right? When you change coaches, it seems like you always go with the guy who was the polar opposite of what you previously had in place. Pete DeBoer and Gerard Gallant, very different personalities, very different coaches, right? Like Pete DeBoer is not going to come out and kick your ass if, if you if you bother him, if you say the wrong thing to him. We saw Gerard Gallant wanting to fight Tony D'Angelo after one of the games in, in the Rangers hurricane series. Pete DeBoer was not going to come out and, and fight you. Pete DeBoer was going to take a totally different approach than that. So are they going to bring in a guy who, who's a bit confrontational with the media, like maybe a John Tortorella? I, I don't know. But I think ultimately what, what it comes down to, Brian Spence, is can this coach get William Carlson to score 25, 30 goals? Can this coach get the power play to put more pucks in the net? Can this coach get the very best out of Robin Leonard like we've seen other coaches be able to do? Those are the things that I think they're going to be looking for. And I and I single out William Carlson, not because I, I, I think William Carlson's a bad player, but 
William Carlson is such a better player when he's allowed to have free range, when he's allowed to to create offense, when he's not necessarily following a structured uh, game plan, when he's allowed to be a true centerman and go and do the thing that we got to see him do the first, what, two years where, where, where he was a member of, of the Golden Knights. I mean, the first two years he was great, right? Then year two, there, there was the, or year three, I should say, there was a pandemic. Last year, shortened season. This season, he spent some time on the injured list, but, but he wasn't exactly, you know, the guy that we've come to expect him to be. Sure, he's really good and very responsible on the defensive end, but I think we want to see more offensively out of William Carlson. Is this coach going to allow that? Because I, I, I truly believe at the end of the day, Brian, if this team is healthy, Max Pacioretty is going to get his goals. Mark Stone is going to get his goal. Jack Eichel is going to be an 85-point player if this team is fully healthy. But guys like William Carlson, guys like Riley Smith, who, who I will say this, I don't have any inside information, but I do have a pretty strong gut feeling that Riley Smith will be back next season as a member of the Golden Knights. I don't know anything that, that would confirm that or deny it. But it's just my gut feeling. So whoever they come in is going to need to get the very best out of that line, the Carlson, Marcia, so Smith line. Because I think at the end of the day, that's the line that you're going to rely on to win a lot of your games. Because I feel like healthy, Mark Stone, Jack Eichel, Max Pacioretty, they're going to get theirs. I mean, Max Pacioretty was basically on a goal, you know, a 40-goal pace without the injuries. So I, I, I don't worry too much about him as far as production. I worry about him staying healthy. And I feel like that's a pretty big concern. I don't worry about Mark Stone's production, but I do worry about Mark Stone being healthy. I have no concern about Jack Eichel being healthy right now. I feel like another offseason, he made it through the, the the final three months of the season coming off the surgery. He was fine. He actually played with, with a broken wrist, apparently. So I don't worry about those guys. I think Chandler Stevenson, really underrated player. Huh? Nick wants a guy who needs to take a step forward. So whoever they bring in is going to have to be able to get the very best out of those guys, the Nick Waz, the the the, the Zach White Clouds, the the Nick Hagues. Those are the guys that that they're going to have to get the most out of. And and I think finding a coach to do that is is going to be not only difficult, but I, I feel like it's it's probably a priority. Well, yeah, it is, Chris, and, and and you mentioned a lot of guys that do need to step up. It is time for these guys to start becoming prominent uh, figures, and, you know, I, I don't think Chandler Stevenson, I think this year, I think the uh, the entire NHL uh, saw Chandler Stevenson's ability. I don't think he's as underrated as maybe he was before this season, and he stepped up. I mean, this guy is becoming a solid player in the NHL, a guy that they're going to count on to score goals for him, but you are right. You know what? You know, you look at all these coaching candidates, Chris, people that are being mentioned, you mentioned Tortorella, you know, of course, Barry Trotz's name comes up, Paul Maurice, I've heard people talk about even Rick Tockett, uh, Joe Quinneville, but, you know, one of the guys, when you say a new face, you know, are they talking about a new face in general, or are they talking about maybe a new face to coaching in the NHL, as far as being a head coach go, and the reason I say that is a guy that's a dark horse to me is a guy like Ryan Craig. Why do they keep him around? I mean, he's been an assistant coach since year one. They keep him around for some reason. As the regime changes, he didn't. 
And I just wonder, the players like him. He's popular amongst them. I wonder if a guy like him could get the nod. I mean, he's playing with house money, Chris, if he gets the job. There's little, you know, I mean, you know, they know what they're doing. They're bringing it. So everyone's going to go, what the hell are you doing promoting this guy to a head coach when, when he's been in the AHL? I don't think he's ever coached in the National Hockey League besides being an assistant. What do you do about with a guy like that, Chris, that, that uh, you know, or, or your thoughts on somebody like a Ryan Craig, a completely new face, you say going in a different direction, um, that's really would, would shock the hell out of everybody. But the fact that they're not even really mentioning who they're thinking of, they're keeping it very candid like they do with some of the injuries in the NHL. Um, I'm wondering, man, if a guy like him is, 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 is maybe more prominent than we think. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because I've actually had the same thought. Some of the people I've talked to have have basically said, you know, they don't really feel like he is a a candidate for the head coaching job, but he's a guy that they really, really like. So they don't want to let him go. Um, you know, they 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 when when Gerard Gallant was fired, they sent Mike Kelly with him. Now that Pete DeBoer was fired, Ryan McGill and um Steve Spot were both fired as well. And the goalie coach Mike Rosati, who, by the way, came in with Pete DeBoer when they when because Dave Pryor was sent on, quote, assignment uh, to Canada and never to be heard from again. So um, Dave Pryor was also relieved of his duties. And Mike Rosati came was 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 then I, I believe Mike Rosati was with the franchise and he was promoted to goalie coach um, at the time. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I think Ryan Craig is an, is an interesting name. I think it is a name to maybe keep an eye on because it's very obvious that they really like him and they feel like he he brings a lot to the franchise. Um, you know, at some point, the guy's going to be a head coach in the NHL. I, I, I think that that's probably an accurate statement. I just don't know when. And if they really like him, then maybe now. I just wonder if a if this team that is laden with with veterans and former captains and you know you've got guys like Alex Petrangelo and Alec Martinez who've both lifted the cup in Martinez's case multiple times. You bring in former captains Jack Eichel. You got Mark Stone as a captain. Max Pacioretty was a captain. Is bringing in a guy for the first time the the right mix? I guess with with the group of players that they have. Because you've got guys who, who've been at the pinnacle of the sport, and you've got multiple guys who've worn C's and letters on their chest. I still think I still lean towards a veteran voice, but I'm not going to discount Ryan Craig. I, I I really think that that it's a it's a, I don't want to say it's a strong possibility, but I feel like there there is a possibility he could be their guy. Because yeah, Chris. I, it, oh, I'm sorry. What I was going to say about Ryan Craig is, you know, just to, to echo some of your sentiments. And one of the things is when you say, "Will these guys respect him?" Or, you know, will you know because he hasn't had that position. You've got so many veteran leaders on this team. You know, almost to the point where that old cliche: "Too many Chiefs and not enough Indians." But that's not the case. These guys really get along well, and uh, they can be led. The reason. I like Ryan Craig is for that reason. He knows these guys. Most of them, even Eichel is familiar with him now. And more importantly, if he is, if he does have the makeup to be a, a head coach in the national hockey league, then he should be able to see 
what guys will mesh well together. He knows tendencies. He's at every practice. I mean, a guy that knows these guys that's flying completely under the radar of everybody who's thinking about candidates for the next coaching position. And, you know, maybe he has his own ideas. You know, if, if he has the capability, as you say, he does. And I believe he does as well. I think he is a, he, I think he's a, he's a smart guy. Um, he could be a guy to mesh these guys together and figure out because the other thing a coach has to do and DeBoer tried doing it is you've got to mix things up. I mean, you know, everyone loved that production line of Riley Smith, Jonathan Marcheseau and William Carlson. It was magical for a couple of years. You know, maybe it'll be magical again, but I believe a guy like Ryan Craig knows the intricacies of these guys, knows their personalities from being around them and is a very interesting, uh, a very interesting concept of, making him the next head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. I don't think guys like you and I and people that understand the game and are paying a lot of attention to what is behind the scenes to the upper management of the Vegas Golden Knights knows about him. I'll bet 90% of Vegas Golden Knights fans don't even know who he is, but he is really an interesting choice. And I won't be disappointed if he gets the nod again, because of familiarity with this team. Let's move on and talk about the playoffs right now, guys. Um, I was so happy yesterday to see Gerard Gallant get that big win in game six. And what a unique series this is. And not just a series, unique run with the Carolina uh, Hurricanes. No team has ever not won a road game in the first two rounds and made it to the conference finals. And the way Carolina plays at home, that could very well happen, but they're Owen five on the road. They can't win away from the, and they look bad. I mean, you know, not only can't they win, they don't, they look like a, a different franchise on the road. It's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I mean, for God's sakes, anti rant, granted, he's been a, you know, a, a pr- pr- pretty a solid backup. Most of his career every now and again, takes over but really this year has found his own for the Carolina Hurricanes he's played tremendously well he didn't even look like a but Chris two of the goals this guy let in the first two yesterday high school goaltenders make those saves yeah it, it's it's really Carolina to me is they're actually really not hard to figure out they are great at home and they suck on the road like I I, I feel like that's kind of an accurate statement of the Carolina Hurricanes. They're now 0-7 on the road in the playoffs, but they're undefeated at home. They're now getting ready to play their 14th game um, in the playoffs, a a second game seven. They went seven against the Bruins, in which they won every game at home and lost every game on the road. I'm sorry, they're 0-6 on the road because they they were home ice in – in, in, in the first series. So they're going for they're they're seven and six in the playoffs, all seven wins at home, all six losses on the road. I I can't figure them out, Brian. I mean, like I I honestly I should say I can figure them out. They're at home tomorrow night, they're gonna win because it's just <laughs> the way it goes. And then we're gonna get to test the ultimate because Tampa Bay does not lose two games in a row. Carolina will have home ice in that series. Will will the irresistible force defeat the immovable object? Probably. I don't know. I don't know what that means. But you you, you talked about how awful Antti Ranta was yesterday. Uh, you know they Freddie Anderson has been practicing with them. Uh, I I I mean if you're Ron um, uh, 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 Brendamore, Rod Brendamore, I I call him Ron. I'm sorry, Rod Brendamore. 
I don't know if you have to make a change in net. I, I feel like maybe you don't because your team's been so good at home. And then maybe for the Tampa series, you put your best goalie in net. I, I, I don't know, but I will say this. Carolina, if they have aspirations of winning a Stanley Cup, they're going to have to win a game on the road. It's just the way it is. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I don't understand how a team that is supposedly as good as they are can be as bad as they are on the road. Like, it, it just makes no sense why that's the case. I mean, they're easy to figure out. But why, why they play that way? I, I, I don't know why they're so bad at, on the road and so good at home. I wish I knew, but I do know that they're home tomorrow night for that game seven. They're gonna win. It's just, it's just the way it is. I hope they don't because I, I, I want to see Igor Shosturkin and Andre Vasilevsky in the second in, in the in the Eastern Conference Final. I want to see Tampa against a team that I think is better than the Carolina Hurricanes. Although if they if they lose this series, obviously that's not the case, but. I'd like to see Artemi Panarin and Steve Stamkos in the same series. I'd like to see Chris Kreider and Nikita Kucherov in the same series. I'd like to see Adam Fox and Victor Hedman on the ice together in the same series. Carolina, I I enjoy them. I like a lot of their players. It just doesn't have that same appeal that the Rangers and, and the Lightning have. You get you get the 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 Gerard Gallant against John Cooper. You get a little a little bit of of goaltending, two elite goalies. I mean, look, the, the numbers for Andre Vasilevsky, I don't know if you've seen these. In closeout games, the last seven closeout games, he's faced 200 shots. 200 in seven of the uh, uh, in the last seven closeout games. You know how many goals he's allowed of those 200? One. He saved 199 shots out of 200 in closeout game, in, in, in not, not necessarily game sevens, but games in which the Lightning have an opportunity to close out their opponent. They're undefeated in those games. His goals against average is 0.14. 0.14. It is another level that this guy has elevated himself to. I think Tampa's going back to the final regardless of who wins tomorrow night, and I would not be shocked in the very least if we see a three-peat in the Stanley Cup playoffs once because Tampa's that good. We have not seen anything like this franchise since the Islanders in the 80s. That's how long it's been. And I understand the Detroit Red Wings were, were maybe one of the greatest dynasties in, in hockey history in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Won four cups, I believe, Brian. They didn't do it in a row. And while they were really good for a long time under Scotty Bowman and, and Mike Babcock, and uh, I can't remember who else was in the mix there, but we haven't seen a team win this many series in a row since the Islanders. The Islanders oh, well, won. Yeah, the Islanders yeah, won nineteen in a row. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, I mean th- th- this Tampa team, Brian, they're, they're unstoppable right now. I, I don't care who wins tomorrow night; they're not beating Tampa. No, it's it's been amazing. I mean, the Oilers were pretty good right after the Islanders too. They won five or four Stanley Cups in five years. Of course, the Canadians interrupted them in in, in 1986, but they they had a pretty good run as well. But yeah, the Islanders won four in a row. Uh, the Canadians before them. That was a year where you that was a about a, a 13 year period, Chris, where you had three franchises that dominated the NHL, the Canadians in the late seventies, then in the early eighties, you had the the New York Islanders. And then of course the Edmonton Oilers in the mid eighties, but um, this team rivals those teams. And you are right. It is what I say about the Tampa Bay lightning, Chris, is I say, 
I have never in my lifetime, and I mean that, have seen a team elevate their game to the degree that they do in the postseason. The Canadians played consistently every season. They were the best team in hockey. Islanders as well. This team is not the best team in hockey in the regular season other than one of their three seasons winning the Stanley Cup. They're not winning the President's Cup. But yet, they get to the postseason, and especially a guy like Kucherov last year, hurt all season, comes back in the postseason, and played as good as anybody in the, in, in the postseason, like he hadn't missed a beat from coming back. And again, Nikita Kucherov, again this season, just seems to find another level that I've never seen players do. Like I said, everybody elevates their game in the postseason. That is to be expected. The game of hockey, which is already the fastest professional sport other than auto racing in existence, um, it, it gets faster in the postseason. But the Tampa Bay Lightning take it to a level that is unprecedented. And we see it time and time again. And I can't disagree with you. I think Colorado is going to be, as much as I can't stand the Colorado Avalanche, them and Tampa Bay could be one of the greatest series of all times if they both play their best hockey at the same time. But I can't disagree with you. Until they get knocked off this throne, the Tampa Bay Lightning are absolutely uh, poetry in motion when it comes to the postseason. You have the best line, of the last line of defense of, Vazhovsky, there's no, there's nobody better in the game. I mean, this guy, he's that way in the regular season, but in the postseason, he is impermeable, as you just mentioned and called us that. But what you know, and, and as you mentioned as well, I mean, it is ridiculous what I- Igor Shesterskin is doing. He is absolutely Chris it, right now, and and I and I saw this today, and I was kind of um, in in uh, what was the statistic on this guy? It was something like he had it was the seventh breakaway save when when I, when Sebastian Ajo yesterday had that breakaway in the in the, about seven minutes into the game, and he made that save. It was the seventh breakaway save he's made this postseason more than any other goaltender. I mean, he is just playing lights out when he has to, and if he can play that way on the road in Carolina, you know, the bottom line is you got to get the puck past him to win. They do get the puck past him, but not that often. He has been nothing short of spectacular in this entire postseason and they're a force to be reckoned with they really are um you know but again again caroline is at home um you know i don't know how much um ranta's shaken by what happened to him yesterday that can have an effect but i do think he gets the nod in net to start the game he's played great at home this team has been you know unbeatable at home obviously they haven't lost a single game and the good news for carolina going into tomorrow night's game a couple of th- back they're undefeated at home if history repeats itself because um they have won six straight game sevens which is tied for the longest streak in stanley cup playoff history and they've given up check this out at home they have given up eight goals in seven home games in the playoffs so far this year they're they're, they're already a very sound maybe the best defensive team in the nhl but wow do they shut you down when you play them in raleigh yeah, it, it's strange. I mean, they they are uh you know they're 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 really good. And Rod Brendamore, I think is a really good coach despite the fact that I I I was I blanked on his name real quick. I had a brain fart. Uh but you know what I like about Rod Brendamore? He's kind of a tough guy. Like Rod Brendamore was was you you look at him and he he he's just got that look like, you know what? This is a guy you don't want to cross. And you can see his nose has been through about 17. Well, yeah, and, and the, the funny thing is, Rod Brendamore played in the very first NHL game I, I attended. I, I, I got to see the Flyers and the Whalers 
way back in in the eighties. Wow, and man. Rod, Rod, yeah. So, so, yeah, he was playing for the Flyers, and and uh, the funny thing is, he's now coaching the team that was formerly the Hartford Whalers. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's funny. Rick Tockett was also in that game for the for the Flyers as well. So. Uh, it'd be funny if Rick Tockett ended up being the coach of the Flyers. I think that's probably, I mean, it's got to be like a slam dunk, right? It's like, a really good possibility. Like an, and, I mean, I know he's And I think Pete DeBoer ends up in right. Dallas with Joe Pavelski. That seems to make a lot of sense, too. But uh, getting back to the to the Hurricanes, look, their, their issue in the years past has always been goaltending. They've done it by committee. Like, they've never had a number one goalie. And the year they finally get that, all-star caliber, really good goalie in Freddie Anderson. He hasn't been able to play through two rounds of the playoffs because of an injury. It, it, it's rough, but that's that's the way it works in the NHL sometimes. Sometimes you just can't get that. But I don't really know if goaltending has been the issue. I mean, obviously yesterday it was. But when the team can't win games on the road at all, it's hard to pinpoint that on one guy. It it seems like it's a total team failure. It's like a mental it's like a mental block at this point. Yeah. We're talking about Rod Brendamore, Chris, and of course Gerard Gallant after the game in the post game. It was it was you know, this is a this is a voice uh, many people out there, especially if you're driving around in Vegas listening, you are very familiar with. Don't get upset about hearing him be happy for him uh winning again. I think most people are. I think the, the they're not upset about him about him coaching the Rangers. They're just upset that he's not coaching the Vegas Golden Knights, but um, this was both uh, Coach Gerard Gallant and the coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, Rod Brindamore, after the after the game. This time of year, discipline is the most important thing, and I'm proud of our guys to do that. You know, we want to win hockey games, and we know what it takes. And uh, again, our backs are against the wall tonight, and we play our best hockey. You're gonna go down in the game, and these are the easier ones to just let go because you know, we, once we got behind, we never really got going again, and there's a lot of guys didn't play very well, so. It's a lot easier to shake off a game like that than a game where you're, you know, right in it and something bad happens. So it's behind us now. We turn the page, and you know, the good news is we don't have to end on that. I mean, we got another shot here. Yeah, they've got another shot tomorrow night, uh, 5 o'clock uh, our time. There'll be a Game 7 down in Raleigh, North Carolina. Going to be a hell of a game, and I'll tell you, one of the things that Carolina's just got to do, Chris, uh, keep Mika Zibinijad, um off the scoreboard. I mean, this guy, four straight games with a goal, seven in the playoffs so far. It's the ro- longest run by a Ranger in the postseason since an ex-Red Wing, ex-Blue uh, Brendan Shanahan did it, I think back in like 2012 or something like that. It's been a minute and I think only two three players in Rangers history have scored four goals in four straight playoff games and um it's a it's a it's a pretty elite thing this guy is playing great yes he's in the right place at the right time a lot but he's doing the right things and and that's what's making him great but uh pretty cool four goals in uh four uh, four goals in four games we'll see if he can keep that streak uh tomorrow night I know that most of us here are pulling for the New York Rangers in that game uh for a couple of reasons and those two those reasons would be of course Gerard Gallant Ryan Reeves a lot of fun seeing Revo out there at the end of last game you'll probably see that uh, carry over to the next game uh you don't want to mess with Ryan Reeves because he doesn't have a short memory he's a really bright guy and you fight 
fight with him or start a fight where there's officials separating you, referees are separating you at the end of the game and you know you're going home. But uh, when you're at home, you're going to face him again on the ice. And I, rem- I believe me, he's going to be talking to you the entire game. Pray he doesn't drop his gloves because I don't think there's a guy in the NHL that can beat him up. All right, let's let's move on, guys. And, I, you know, I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, obviously, Spence, the, the NBA um, I have not enjoyed postseasons simultaneously in the NBA and the NHL as much as I have these in a long time. And it's funny saying that coming from a Detroit guy and a Vegas guy, none of my teams are in the postseason in either one of these leagues, yet we're seeing game seven after game seven. And that means you're seeing competitive, good basketball. In some cases, like the Celtics Heat going to game seven tonight, um, you've seen blowouts in almost every game, but yet they're at a game seven and these two teams are playing differently. Huge win for Miami in game six in Boston. Everyone was already penciling the Boston Celtics in to the NBA final Spencer. There is no question that, that, that this year we have seen, uh, we have seen changes in the, in the NBA, seen players emerge as great players, um, what Jimmy Butler has done again in this postseason is nothing short of spectacular. The guy literally two nights ago said, you know what? We are not losing this game. And he put that team on his back and he carried him. When Lowry's missing shots that he needs to make, Butler's picking up the slack. Tyler Hero, I haven't seen him play in two games. I don't know if he's hurt. You can fill me in on that. I think he is injured, but that's a huge loss. And somehow Jimmy Butler finds a way to win so hard to win at the Boston garden. One of the loudest, most passionate uh, basketball facilities in the country. And yet they go in there and the Miami hit when they are the number one seed, Boston is the number one, two seed. Um, Jason Tatum is one of those guys. I, I should have talked when I, when I talk about the NBA changing to not say he's a top five player in the NBA. Okay. Let's talk about the top five. He is now right there. This guy is as good as it gets, but can Boston go into Miami and beat them today in game seven? Yeah, so th- this really has been an interesting playoffs, and Jimmy Butler is a great place to start. A guy who's had a really strange career where he just goes places and he doesn't fit in and he gets kicked out. The T-Wolves, I mean, the 76ers, you can really go down the list, and there you go. And then whenever you talk about the top five players in the NBA, Jimmy Butler never said. But then when he scores 47 points, does that mean he's like automatically should be in the conversation? So it's kind of hard to judge. And I, I think the best way to frame it is because I don't know the answer to this question. Like when I have kids and like when they grow up and they start watching basketball with me, eventually Jimmy Butler will come up and he'll be retired by the time, you know, they're of age to start talking about that. And they asked me, what did you think of Jimmy Butler? Like how good was he? I don't really know the answer to that question. It's pretty weird. I guess I can show him some performances and other times. He's well, wait, not there. The, the story's not finished yet. Jimmy Butler's not ready to retire anytime <laughs> soon. So you still got more story That's to be true. written. You might be not have a problem telling your kids about Jimmy Butler. They win the NBA title this year, which would be shocking if they did. I can't see them. I could see them winning this series. I don't see them beating golden state, but they could. And, uh, and and they will have home court advantage over the Warriors in that series. So that could bode well for him. But, um, you know, you can't you can't write Jimmy Butler off and say, how am no. I going to – his legacy, his legacy is not finished. No, it's definitely not. And I think this has been a, a pretty interesting conference finals because these two, these two teams are, like, different from the typical NBA team. When you look at the Warriors, it's like passing the ball at the perimeter and shooting three-pointers. It's very straightforward. They're very team-oriented. When you look at the Boston Celtics, very ISO-centric where Jason Tatum 
regardless of if he's playing well or not, will check up shots. Every once in a while, every other game, it feels like he has those really weird off nights, and he's actually scheduled for one tonight. So this is probably the most important game of his career for a lot of reasons, obviously, for going to the NBA Finals. But like just in, a, in terms of defining moments, some things that you look back on, because I think that we've reduced basketball down to this like very barbaric conversation. But like when you look, like throw everything out, look at the game situation. Jason Tatum's had a lot of stinkers in the playoffs in his career. And if he has one tonight, then you really got to start thinking, is he really a top five player? So a, a lot of uh, a lot of big names here and a lot of injuries kind of looks like either one of them are like wheeling to the finish line. Robert Williams obviously has been injured throughout the entire playoffs, you know, for the Boston Celtics. Kyle Lowry dealing with some knee problems. So, I mean, you did kind of frame it pretty well. Like whoever gets to like the NBA finals, like or will they even be prepared to face Golden State, who's completely healthy and getting Gary Payton? You know back? what? I was wrong. Golden State does have home court advantage this year for uh, the finals, which is awful tough on whoever they have to play. Yeah, and I, I don't really know who would be a better matchup, you know, in the NBA finals, because I would say Wiggins could probably go face up with Jason Tatum. And I think Jimmy Butler would actually be a better guard for someone like Clay Thompson. So uh, I'm guessing, although, you know, I guess they don't really care, but Golden State probably would rather face Boston than they would Miami, a very physical team, which doesn't really work well with them. Memphis was a little physical with Golden State at times, too, and that helped them out. But it'll be a great game seven. I'm really excited to see. I think it's going to finally be close because I think at the end of some of those other games, they just gave up and they were just getting ready for the next game because they knew they had one. But tonight, it's not going to be like that. So I expect it like maybe a one or two point game, hopefully, because that'd be cool to see going into the NBA finals. You know, Spencer, I, I think it will be a tighter game than the rest of them. I think both these teams will come out firing. And to me, the X factors in this game, we already know Jason Tatum and we already know Jimmy Butler, but for Boston to win this game, the guy who's probably unsung hero of the Celtics that's made some of their biggest shots when they've needed him the most, Jalen Brown has really stepped up this year in the postseason, Spencer. He has played out of his mind, and Al Horford's got to be in there, and Al Horford has got to play under the basket and make sure he gets his rebounds and makes his baskets. I mean, you know, he gave him a couple of three-pointers, which uh, Horford will do now and then. That's not his game, but Al Horford is going to have to be huge and Jalen Brown uh, to, to compliment Tatum. And of course, you know, you're going to need the other contributions as well for Marcus Smart. Um, it's been, uh, you know, guys like that are going to have to play as well. Uh, but I think Jalen Brown to me and Al Horford are the two guys. If Boston's going to win, they're both going to have the, have to have their best games. And I'll throw Robert Williams in there. But more importantly for the Boston Celtics, look back at the first game of the NBA playoffs for the Boston Celtics, that game winner where Jason Tatum had the ball on the wing and passed it up and then eventually got it back on the spin layup for the game winner at the buzzer. Like that was the peak of Boston Celtics playoffs. And like they get away from that so much where I think if they trusted each other a little more, they'd be in such a better place. But Tatum and Jalen Brown get this thing in their mind where they just have to do it themselves. And obviously that's just sometimes you're going to win that way. That's how basketball works. Sometimes you're on. But if they're off and if Jason Tatum's off early, it'll be interesting to see how he responds. Is he going to be the same Jason Tatum that we've seen that stinks it up for like seven for 21 and his team loses? Or he finally give the ball to his other teammates who maybe can make some shots for him. We'll see. It's kind of hard to trust people in game seven because you definitely want to be the reason that you do go through. But, you know, I, I think that the Boston Celtics need to figure out how they can work as a team tonight and get a team win. No, I agree. And and when you're talking about the heat, the keys to victory, obviously Jimmy Butler has to be Jimmy Butler. He hasn't really had a problem doing that. I know he's not going to score 47 points every night, but 
you know, nine rebounds and eight assists to go by, by the way, to go along with those 47 points. The guy was just very close to a triple double. Um, but on, on, on Miami side, uh, Spencer, Bam Adebayo has got to have a huge game. We're talking about, we're talking about Harvard. His defense is gigantic in this game. He can be one of the best defensive players in the NBA when he's playing his best basketball. They are definitely going to need that today. Kyle Lowry's got to be consistent. Of his biggest problems. Yeah, he had a double-double last game. He had 10 assists and 18 points. He needs to be consistent. When he takes an open three-pointer, Spencer, he's got to make that three-pointer. Those are things they're going to need from him. Um, you know, they're going to need P.J. Tucker, Victor Oladipo off the bench. He, he, at times, he's been brilliant. At times, he's been – he looks like he's still recovering from an injury. Tell me about Tyler Hero, though. Tyler Hero, the sixth man of the year, they count, they've, they count on him, and they always have counted on him for – Point production off the bench. Tremendous perimeter game by Tyler Hero. Heady basketball player. Huge loss. Will the, How soon and when will they have Tyler Hero back playing for him? Because, again, two games he's been out. I am shocked that they won the game in Boston without him. Is he going to be back uh, for game seven, or what's the deal? It is a game-time decision with a groin injury. So I would imagine they're doing anything physically possible to get him there. Uh, you know, obviously the game seven helps him out a whole lot, giving them that that it's those extra days off. And uh, he, my guess is that he won't be like, I think it's more of like a wish and they really want him to. And there's obviously a lot of pressure mounted on him, but if they go to the NBA finals, like they can't just like go like get Tyler hero injured in this game and then go to the NBA finals and expect to win. Like, cause they're going to need a lot of bench production because the Warriors starting five is going to outscore them. I feel like that's just kind of like baseline. So I think if they can get that scoring off the bench, that'll help equalize them in the finals. And I wouldn't risk that because we know they can beat them without him. That's just my two cents on the matter. No, I like it. I, I think that makes perfect sense. And then finally, whoever goes to the finals, you look at Golden State this year, clicking on all cylinders again. Clay Thompson, obviously 100% healthy. That's huge for them. You know, and then, of course, you've got the other two of the big three with, uh, you know, the conference. Uh, they finally have a, they have a new Magic Johnson trophy for the conference, Western Conference MVP, uh, when Western Conference Finals MVP. And, of course, Steph Curry wins that shocker. Draymond Green, of course, the big three. But, you know, the emergence of Tyrone Poole this year has been, again, it's like, come on, do they really need more players in gold? state and then you know I, I mean i knew tyrone Poole was an nba player watching him play at michigan i didn't know he was going to do this in the postseason and and really just be as good as you could ever have hoped him to be especially as a rookie and to think of the upside and the growth of this kid down the road he's on his way to being a top 15 player in the nba in a couple of years here but um can either one of these teams really take out Golden State, especially knowing Golden State has home court advantage? I think they definitely can. I think Jimmy Butler is quite a big mismatch, and I think Jalen Brown potentially could be too. Klay uh, Thompson, he definitely has had some really good defensive stands, but I don't think he's – when I look back at the Memphis series, like he had that icon, – like not iconic, but he had that really big block in the first game to like so that they didn't win. John Morant missed that layup at the last yeah. second. So that like looks like a really good defensive play, but I still have questions about him, whether or not he can shift his feet sideways and really stay with him. Like I think Jimmy Butler could potentially abuse that matchup and maybe cover him. Clay Thompson's been taking some really bad shots in this year's playoffs. Had 30 points in the last game of the conference finals, but the Mavericks were done, put a fork in him. You know, they won the one game for the gentleman's sweep because they didn't want to. Uh, they had a lot of pride, obviously, most basketball players do. But I think when you're looking at the whole body of work, yeah, I, I think that there could be something there. Um, I think either of these teams actually have a chance. I think Jason Tatum could be a big mismatch depending on Andrew Wiggins, although Andrew Wiggins is really 
paid himself a lot of money wow, in this no year's postseason. No he doubt has been it. huge for them. In Such clutch yeah. shots this guy has made throughout the postseason. He really has been good. I personally do not think anyone's beaten the Golden State Warriors. I think that team, I think, yes, at home, especially if they play Boston. Boston plays really well at home, although we just saw them lose to, to Miami in a crucial game six, knowing they had to go on the road if they lost that game. So I, I just can't see Golden State. I just think there's too much firepower, Spencer. I think there's too much intimidation. And Golden State plays great defensive basketball. And that's 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 going to be a tough, tough and, and like I talked about earlier, the one thing they do have more than anybody else is health. And like I just said that too, Gary Payton's coming back. That's a yeah. fully healthy Golden yeah. State team versus oh. a limping Boston team and a limping Miami team. And a, and, a, and, and a very confident Steph Curry coming in. A guy, like I said, coming off of the first ever conference MVP award given in, in basketball. And and uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a tough matchup. I hope it's good, but looking forward to Game Five today. As you said, I think we're going to see the best game we've seen in this series today in the closest game. All right, go ahead, hit it, Spencer. Facts. This. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact. This. Act. Yesterday, Real Madrid beat Liverpool in the UEFA Champions League final. Also a fact, Real Madrid has the highest title percentage in European Cup final history. They are 14-3 and three in, Euro- in, in the European Cup final appearances since the league began in 1955. This means that on average, Real Madrid is in the final a little better than every four seasons. They're for sure the elite franchise Europeans in European soccer history. But Magnum, I'll ask you, I know you're not happy, you're upset, a Liverpool fan, but being the soccer junkie that you are, should Real Madrid be considered the best and most accomplished professional sports franchise in the world? I know the Yankees have won 27 World Series, but baseball's all, all also been around since the 1800s. The European League, I know, and Real Madrid's been around since like 1906, but the European League has only been around since 1955, and they've won 14 championships. Well, well, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of layers to, to this. Um you know the Champions League is is basically you you take the best teams from from all of Europe and I I, I mean I can't really compare it to, to anything we have in the U.S. because we we really don't right? we only have the one domestic league like I guess maybe the only way I could I could think about it is if we took every single high, and actually they do this in Japan if we took the best high school baseball team in every state. And had a a tournament to determine which team was the best high school team. Obviously, this is on a professional level. But if you took all 50 states, I mean, every country in Europe, including some that aren't even really countries like Gibraltar, they have an opportunity to to win this. Obviously, Gibraltar doesn't ever progress past the first round because it's there's like 50 people who live there. Basically, if you live there, you're on their team. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think again, th- this is, there's, there's more layers to it because in the early stages of this tournament, it was started by Real Madrid, um, and it was an invitational and there were only four teams in the tournament and basically it was a knockout tournament, you know, two teams on one side, two teams on the other. So a lot of them are, are, are discounted, but it's hard to argue that the last 25, I mean, they haven't lost a final since 1981. The last team that actually beat them in a final was Liverpool. And it seems like they're in a final every other year. I mean, that's just how dominant they are. 
they are the marquee franchise in Spain. Uh, there's a lot of it's funny because in Spain there's there's two really big clubs. There's Real Madrid and there's Barcelona. Uh, Barcelona is is from a, a, a state in Spain, Catalonia, where there is a lot of. Uh, I, I would say there's not a lot, but there's there's definitely movement for separation from the rest of Spain because their history, their culture is quite different. And Real Madrid was basically the club of Francisco Franco. And if you know anything about the, the Spanish Civil War, Franco wasn't exactly a good guy. So uh, Spain is complicated because of because of that that history and the animosity. But Real Madrid, the last 30 years, I mean, basically since I've been alive, has been the marquee franchise in the sport. Uh, they're not really franchises, clubs. Uh, marquee club in the sport. Um, you know, it, it's it's a tricky sport because it's a bit like baseball in that the rich always seem to get richer, and the Baltimore Orioles have to go the hard route and basically suck for 25 years before they actually put a team that, that's capable of making the playoffs together. So, yeah, it, it's a lot like baseball in that regard. I would say this. There are teams that are a lot more successful in their domestic league. Like Bayern Munich in Germany has won like 30 domestic titles out of like 60. But it's a case of the rich get richer. They have all the money. They're able to kind of dictate the way things work in their league. But as far as the European competition, strictly the Champions League, Real Madrid is a class above everyone else. I'm a Liverpool fan. I've I've watched my team lose to them twice now in the last five years in the final. And... What they do is is they just find guys who fit exactly what they want. They go out and they 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 don't have to buy the biggest or the best. They do that, but they don't have to buy the biggest and the best. They go out and they find young guys who who the guy who scored the goal yesterday, perfect example, Brazilian kid, just totally fits what they want. And they've been able to regenerate and and basically reload every single year by going out and finding good young talent. They've already done it. They've addressed issues that they wanted. They nearly signed Kylian Mbappe, who's widely regarded as the best player in the world right now. Obviously, Messi and Ronaldo on their on their way down. But Mbappe chose to stay in Paris, which is interesting. But he, he turned down Real Madrid, but he's only 23. So when his contract expires, he's going to be 26. Good chance he'll end up in Madrid as well. But long story, to, to, to come full circle on this, yes. They are the most successful club franchise, however you want to put it, in the world. It's hard to argue anyone being better at their sport than Real Madrid. They, they are the kings of Europe, now 14-time champions of this tournament. Haven't lost it since 1981. It's hard to argue otherwise. I, I understand that the Yankees are successful. The Montreal Canadiens have a ton of Stanley Cups. But this is this is an international competition that encompasses every team Every team from Europe has a chance to play in this tournament at the beginning of the year if you if you are successful enough. Yeah, you know, Chris, I was at, I was at uh, MGM playing in a poker tournament yesterday, and the bars were packed and people were screaming at this game. And I mean, it was it was on on the television. They were all watching it. It was pretty cool. And um, you know. Uh, huge save by uh, Real Madrid's goaltender. Maybe it would have been a different game, but um, 
it, it was pretty cool, man. It was, it was it was cool to see. And as a matter of fact, I'm sporting, as I said, Magnum. By the way, I can't. He, I, he was right. I can't uh, say what he said in my text message. What I can tell you is, a lot of people would have rather chosen this as the four letter word for golf than golf. And I think that should give it away right there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but but um, but but you know the, the the fact of the matter is, I'd much rather wear a Real Madrid jersey than a New York Yankees jersey any day of the week. And as you see, I got that on right now. But the Yankees have won 27 World Series. Pretty impressive. Uh, and uh, the number one, I believe the number one or number two selling uh, logo in the world. Um, and it's not uh, its not actually Real Madrid that, that's logo sells more than them. It's Manchester United, which is pretty amazing. But uh, that's a t- story for another time. Um, real quickly, I did want to get to the Las Vegas Aces. Aces up a new segment. And uh, Spencer, I'll, I'll bring you in on this one. I know you follow the WNBA pretty closely. Aces, uh, man, they're a team with one loss. They've won six straight, best record in the WNBA right now. And um, Spencer, they're the best team in the WNBA. Is this is this going to be Las Vegas's first ever uh, major league professional franchise uh, world championship? Yeah. So we're just talking about a different team. <laughs> I've been saying this since literally the first game. I was there in the home opener when they came to Las Vegas. I scouted Asia Wilson. I was so ready to see them on the court. Asia Wilson shooting 40% from three-point range in college. She was just there. And when Bill Lambeer comes here, well, he produces an offense that looks like the 1960s. And they're just slow and they're sluggish. Kelsey Plum isn't working well. So we're thinking, oh, is she a bust? No, no, she's not. She was the most prolific scorer in college women's basketball history. And now she's really showcasing that that wasn't a fluke. She really was that good. But she's now playing in a modern offense which is what the aces are. When you look at the product in the court, you can't even recognize it. It's the fast breaks. It's the three-point shooting. And there's a, there's a couple of players that you have to highlight. And I know we're almost out of time here. Jackie Young. I've been on my apology tour for that for, since like two years now. I thought she was a really bad first overall pick. And now she's just coming into her own. She looks like a great. And the other uh, player that is really influential is Chelsea Gray. When they lost uh, Kayla McBride, like I, I was like, wow, that's a really bad loss. Who's this Chelsea Gay girl? Oh, I see she made an all-star team. No, no, no. It's a totally different story. This girl has been a huge influence on the team as a playmaker from the forward spot, which is just a rarity in basketball. I'm not talking about – I'm not trying to compare to anybody in the NBA, but I'm saying if you look on a basketball court and you have a, a small forward who can score the way that she can and playmake for her teammates, you have a recipe for just complete domination, which is what they're doing right now. Great, great entertainment, man. Get out there to see him. Uh, Michelob uh, Ultra, Ultra Arena is what it's called. It's at the Mandalay Bay Event Center. Uh, they've got a game uh, Tuesday night. They're playing the Sun, and they're playing the Sun again on Thursday night, or on Thursday this week. So go check out the Aces. Also, uh, real quickly as we go, Aviators report, Las Vegas Aviators uh, postponed yesterday. They're doing pretty well. They're above 500. One more game at Tacoma today, and then they're home for nine straight games. They play the Rivercats uh, of Sacramento. Sacramento in six and then uh, the Round Rock Express after that listen we're out of time I want to thank everyone today uh, of course Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski for joining me here and setting everything up and of course back in studio Chris Magnum Chapman always for joining as well I'm Brian Feldman this is out of line we're here every Sunday same time eight to nine a.m. we'll be back next week we'll see you then bye-bye